This is Mission.org. This is IT Visionaries, your number one source for actionable insights and exclusive interviews with CIOs, CTOs, and CISOs, and many more. I'm your host, Albert Chow, a former CIO, former sales VP, and now podcast host. If you're a football fan, being able to watch the game with your friends from the 50-yard line, allowing every team to sell more 50-yard line seats in the metaverse, but then as exciting as that is, I like the idea of being able to watch the game from the defensive backfield and move to the ball as the quarterback is releasing it or the running back is breaking through the line of scrimmage. What interactive in the moment experiences are you excited to take part in? As you'll hear in this episode, I love watching sports and nothing is more frustrating than trying to watch a game and texting my friends about it only to find out that they're seeing all the action before me. Roy Reichback, the CEO of Phoenix Real-Time Solutions is excited about Phoenix's ability to remove that naggy latency allowing viewers to be more fully present in the moment. Things get really exciting when we look to the future of virtual experiences only made possible by this type of technology. This episode kicks off our four episode series highlighting the companies that are innovating in the communications and media industries. Next week, get ready for comms giant Comcast. That's right, Rick Riaboli is coming back on the show. But for now, let's listen to Roy. Roy, welcome to the show. It's great to be here. Thanks, Albert. All right. Right out the gate, if you could, because I don't think most people know or think about the technology behind broadcast. I know that's kind of where their company exists. Give us an idea of what is Phoenix Real-Time Solutions and what you guys do. So Phoenix has built a platform for the delivery of video over the internet uh, in real time. And what we mean by real time is in sub half second latency, which means from the field of play uh, in any sporting event, as an example, to your to the glass on your device, uh, you will see the video within one half a second of, of that time. So uh, that is watching faster than broadcast, uh, fa- well, well, well faster than what you see in any digital means today. Uh, most streaming solutions deliver in 30, 40, 50 seconds of latency, uh, but we've done way more than just deliver in real time. We have the capability of not just delivering in real time, but delivering in real time at scale, uh, meaning to millions of viewers concurrently and completely synchronized so that everyone watching uh, the same content is watching it at the same time. Uh, We deliver within 100 milliseconds to each and every viewer on that stream. Uh, So it's it's, it's a really exciting technology which enables a great deal of interaction and engagement uh, between users and, and with the content itself. All right. So I'm a sports nut and that's pretty much the only type of programming I watch. So I feel like I understand where this technology plays a big part. But for our audience, because, you know, for a lot of us, we just don't really know what it takes to do this. So what I'd like to describe, if you don't mind, is I'm going to kind of describe what the experience is like. And you, I think, are the best person to explain how you can improve this. So for any of us who have watched games while on a stream, you'll notice that, for example, like in my group of friends, we chat about the games. We can clearly tell some people are seeing it faster than others. Like, it's not hard to figure out like, oh, what a dunk. It's like, I've not seen a dunk. What's happening, right? So we know that there's limitations of the technology that broadcast the signal to us. Now, we would assume like for the uneducated, which I am, 
I would assume that the reason why there's latency is not because of the broadcast, but because of like just global internet infrastructure. So for example, if I'm watching a game in California, well, I know that signal has to get broadcasted from California to me here in North Carolina. I would have assumed that all the infrastructure in between is what slows it down. But you're saying you can play a part where your technology can actually speed that process up. So I'd love for you to dive in. Like, how does that happen? Sure. So the, the, the geographical boundaries are only really a minor part of the latency that's built into most delivery. Um, so let's start from, from scratch. Um, video delivered over the internet today is delivered you know, using HLS and Dash. Uh, those protocols require what we would refer to as chunking of video. And um, the CDNs, the content delivery networks that deliver that video uh, are taking two, three, four second chunks of the video that's coming to them from whomever is providing that content originally. And they are holding multiple chunks of that video, holding them until they have a certain number of chunks, which they then send out to end users across the internet. The reason they do this is to ensure that you don't have issues with playback as that video is coming in. So if they have an issue getting the video, uh, they've already got chunks of video held back uh, to be able to allow for smooth streaming. So you don't get the interrupted video that we used to see all the time with that circle coming around saying, you know, they're, they're waiting for buffering. Yeah. Phoenix uh, and our, our founder and chief software architect, Stefan Bure, looked at that methodology for delivering video. And the beauty of it is HLS and Dash are built for scaling, but they're just not built for speed based upon what I was explaining. Um, Stefan Bure, though, looked at this. He, uh, he did his PhD thesis in 2002 on, on live streaming before live streaming was really a thing. Um, and then went to work at places like Skype and, and the Chicago Board of Trade, where scaling and speed, uh, predominantly in, in data, were very, very important. He took all of these learnings, put them together and said, I think I can build a solution that has all three legs of the stool. Hmm. So speed, scale, and synchronization. And what he did was he looked at a protocol that had been developed by Google called WebRTC. RTC standing for real-time communication. It's what we use in a video chat right now, um, which allows us to interact directly in real time. Um, and But the problem with WebRTC is it was built for speed, but it was not built for scaling. So it's built for a one-on-one, a one-to-two, a two-to-two type of interaction. Stefan believed two things. One was that WebRTC would become an adopted protocol which would be important when you want to actually commercialize, uh, because if you have to have a plugin, you know how you know that, what that means. It's uh, any end user that needs to plug in additional software is disinclined to utilize it. So he bet on the fact that WebRTC would become an adopted protocol and be in every browser at, at a certain point. He was right about that. Mm. The second one was he believed he could re-architect WebRTC to scale. And what we have built and what he and the engineering team have put together are 2 million plus lines of code that have essentially re-architected WebRTC. So if you think about it on a continuum, left to right continuum, our platform looks like WebRTC when it starts. It looks like WebRTC when it connects to the browser. But the entire midsection of that is 2 million plus lines of code to re-architect WebRTC to allow it to do the things that we do, the scaling, the synchronization, uh, and everything that goes along with that. So um, that's a non-technical explanation uh, of a very technical subject. 
so give us an idea of how or you know the question i have now is like at what layer does this happen so you know on your website you guys list some of the biggest names in media as your partners verizon's listed disney's listed so some of the biggest players out there in broadcast are part of the solution right now or like trying out uh, what you guys have to offer so they have their traditional methods of how they like let's say cap let's start with capturing the game right and so if i got camera crews we're capturing the game that goes into the production booth the production booth is then going to make the call like hey we're going to broadcast the signal out and that's you know a person like my team member jana she's saying hey go to camera one cut to camera two cut to camera three and it's going to package it together into a single stream going out the pipe that goes usually in some type of broadcast networks infrastructure so that they can then send a signal out to the broader continuum so that anyone of the providers can then pick it up. Right. So where does Phoenix start happening? Does it happen? I guess they're flowing all the data through the RTC, like an RTC tool first to like change the way it's, whether it's delivered or how does it, how does it work? Yeah. So we own the, in, the entire workflow um, for, for this content, but we can pick it up anywhere. So we can pick it up as early as from the camera itself. Wow. We can pick it up from the truck. We can pick it up from an offsite location after there's, you know, some additional workflow and, and you know, production that takes place. Um, obviously, the later on in the process that we pick that video up, there's incremental latency built in. It may be 200 milliseconds. It may be 400 milliseconds. It's a, a function of what our client wants and what their objectives are. Uh, for certain use cases, we're picking it up from the camera and delivering it you know, in 420 milliseconds. In other use cases where there's production that our, our clients want to add um, in that workflow, uh, we may be delivering in 800 milliseconds. And so it's, it's really a trade-off that our clients make uh, with respect to you know, in additional production and, and additional workflow items that they add in, or whether they direct Phoenix, 100% Phoenix solution uh, that comes right from the camera. So then I got to ask, because, you know, one of the things that we we know is the broadcasters themselves are also continuously changing the way the content is delivered. Uh, just in the past, I believe, year, possibly less, you know, we went from 1080 to I think now it's like 8K. There's like 8K cameras now on the ground of the, some of these sporting events. That's yeah, I, I, I think it, I think if you go to Japan, there's, there's 16K, so. So that's certainly changing what you have to, let's say, transform, like the data you have to transform to do delivered signal. Is it, I guess that's where this is, my question is like, how does it handle the, how, do, how are you guys built to handle these like different inputs? Because these the, the inputs, like you said, they're, they're changing. They're now at 16K. I, I know that data file is massive. <laughs> so we have, you know, we have data channels, video channels, and audio channels, all of which we synchronize. And that's really sort of the special sauce, right? How do we do exactly what we do? And, and you know, I'll give you a little bit of my background as we go through this, but I'm not a technologist. Uh, I'm the business person. And so if you ask me to write a line of code, we'll be sitting here for a long time. Uh, but I do understand, you know, the, the commercial application or implications of what we do. Yeah, that's the real hard stuff, right? The, the secret sauce in how we do it, we've built an enterprise solution uh, again, in order to to deliver to the promise that we that we've made, which is to be able to deliver to millions of peak and current users across the globe, we had to build a essentially a very high level CDN for the delivery of real time video, and uh, and that's really the the Phoenix platform. Gotcha. 
Give us an idea of what your customers say the first time they experience it. Like, because you got it on your website, you have a lot of stats talking about, for example, I'll, I'll just peel off a couple. In regards to what people, it sounds like, you know, almost expect, right? 72% of customers expect some type of latency issue when they watch a game. 64% expect buffering. 63% of customers are uh, reluctant to sign up or resubscribe to sports live streaming platforms. That you, you know, and that's pretty fascinating stuff. So it's clear that in this industry, the quality and the, and the speed is, is paramount. There are a number of different use cases and reasons why folks want to or need to move to a real-time video delivery solution. Yeah. So, you know, there are use cases around sports betting, for example, where the opportunity to, uh, to deliver a real-time video solution alongside a betting solution allows for what we call watch and bet. In today's mm. betting environment, it's bet and watch. Right. So every application that you that you use uh, wager on in sports, you are betting on the data feed that you're seeing. Yeah. And then you wind up if you're watching video of that event, you're seeing the video subsequent to your bet. What our technology enables is to make that bet based upon the video that you're watching, because the data and the video are both delivered in real time. Uh, Our belief is that that creates huge opportunities for, for bookmakers and for the, the leagues and media companies that are associated with them um, over time. Um, you know, the idea and the opportunity for the average fan to bet more uh, on emotion uh, and what they're seeing and what they're feeling, uh, you know, we believe is, is significant. Um, it also enables what's referred to as peer-to-peer wagering. The ability for you and me and friends of ours or folks that we don't know to utilize a, uh, a bookmaker's platform to make wagers against one another. And the only way you can do that is if you're delivering that video in real time and it's completely synchronized. Because if you or I are watching at different points in time, one of us has an advantage or disadvantage. And the truth is, actually, all of the regulators wouldn't allow it anyway. There's mandatory integrity issues that uh, that the books have to have to take into consideration. I'm curious how fast this technology is being adopted now, because this, you know, this is, like you said, it's an extremely competitive industry. So even if I have, for example, like if I was ESPN or whatever, and I have the rights to a show, I still know that my customers want the content faster, more real time, like you suggested. How widespread is the adoption cycle right now in this? In this, so. We're just starting to really commercialize this technology in, in these spaces. And, and let's segregate the bookmaking space, frankly, from the, the regular media delivery of sports content. Right. So the rationale for, for that is, is very different, right? It's to the point you made earlier about when you're chatting with your friends and you're all watching the same content from in different places. Uh, and even you could even be watching it in the same in the same home and seeing it in different in different times or different latencies. That's true. The truth is that that spoiler effect is very significant. It does ruin the experience for individuals. I'll give you an example. I, I'm and when you hear some of my background, I used to be the general counsel of the New York Islanders Hockey Club, and I'm still a very big hockey fan, very big Islanders fan. My fourth child, my a daughter, is a senior at UCLA. She's the biggest Islander fan in my household. And she and I will watch games at the same time and text one another back and forth as to what's going on. And I would be watching on cable and she's watching a streaming uh, provider. 
she's always roughly 40 or 45 seconds behind me. Yeah. And I have to temper my enthusiasm over what's taking place so that I don't ruin the experience for her. And even though I'm relatively sophisticated when it comes to the relative latencies, I still mess it up every so often where I think she will have seen it by now. And I text her great, like exclamation, exclamation. And she's like, what happened? Matt Barzal is sick. And she's like, what? <laughs> exactly. And then, I, well, a lot of times I will, I, that's one of the things I do. I, I do type, which is Barzell exclamation point. She goes, did he score? And, you know, and it's, it's unfortunate because it ruins the experience for her. Just like, you know, every one of us as sports fans, the beauty of live sports is not knowing what's going to happen. That's right. And once you do know, the watching of it becomes less important and less enjoyable. Uh, I, I think there are very few games that we can go back and watch and ever get the same level of enjoyment that you got the first time you watched it live. Uh, it just it just doesn't happen. That's the beauty of live sports. And so we believe that over time, that live sports will move to real-time sports and that everyone will be seeing this in real time. Um, it's, it's a process. The, the big media companies right have a whole host of, of reasons for not yet activating real time. Uh, you know, some of that is the infrastructure that they've expended on broadcast. And so replacing that infrastructure, no different than going from SD to HD is a big lift. Um, but just like going from SD to HD, once some of the bigger players start to do it and the folks watching that content see it, it's going to become, you know, table stakes for everyone. We believe it's inevitable that we ultimately move to a, to an, a total real time for live sports as well as for other content as well. Um, but, but live sports in particular. So we're very active in the gambling space. We started with horse racing and greyhound racing. Um, we deliver to hundreds of thousands across the, across the globe uh, for those, those sports. We just signed our first U.S. Uh, sports rights holder who is going to deliver to a bookmaker a major sport in real time. Uh, so we hope to have that live sometime over the summer. Uh, we're in discussions with folks in Europe as well to do the same thing right now. And, uh, and we see, we see you know, huge opportunities down the road, but it's, um, I always say in, in technology generally, and in our space in particular, no one wants to be first, but everyone wants to be first to be second. <laughs> uh, so there's a lot of risk always in trying yeah. new technologies and, and, and making a big statement. But once that's adopted and once folks are on board, everyone rushes to the gate at that point. Yeah, from there, you know, I, I can I, I can tell you, see it. Obviously, there's a lot of stake at hand. So, like, if the, it's an easy install, right? It's a software layer, like you said, and it becomes clearly performing. It makes it easier to say yes. Certainly, especially if people experience it. And then to your point about content, live content, I agree. Um, I had a hypothesis back in like 2008 that there were because I saw like females at my work kind of doing what guys did around um, sports as they did with The Bachelor. And sure enough, like there's like fantasy leagues for Bachelor and other real-time shows now. Like So interactive content's not going away. More and more programmers want it too, because it's sticky. Like they want you to watch things. It's all about engagement. 
And and you're right. It, it, I mean, The Bachelor could be an example. American Idol could be an example. Yeah, American Idol is another one. The ability not just to have sort of fantasy games around that in real time, but the other is to be able to interact with who's in the content. So, you know, if you could be voting on American Idol as things are taking place, but you could be actually asking questions, you could be engaged in the content and have have an interaction between the host and viewers who are watching this online in real time. Yeah. Like the the ability to do that, if it's if there's a latent product and you're even if you're 10 seconds behind, the disconnect is so disruptive that it ruins the experience. So a, a real-time video delivery solution is a basic enabler of interactivity and engagement. Yeah, I think what's the most popular show right now or one of like Mass Singer. It's the same it's the same thing, right? Mm-hmm. Things Absolutely. The creators of this content are never going to stop looking for ways to pull customers in. Whatever hooks they can get, uh that's going to always be true. I'm curious for yourself, how did you get into this business? You mentioned before you had a background in sports but not quite the technology side. Give us an idea of when you first heard about Phoenix. How did you get involved? Because this is, you know, like you said, it's groundbreaking technology. Few people want to be first because there's so much money on the line. But like, if it does work, I can see why it's scale adoption very quickly. How did you get hooked to say like, hey, I want to come work and, and help grow this? So I had a, a long and winding road to, to get to Phoenix. I, I started off a long time ago as a trial lawyer in New York and wound up going in-house for one of my clients, which was a large software company called Computer Associates. Oh, that's a big company. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I managed their litigation portfolio worldwide for a number of years when the founder of, of CA, uh, Charles Wong, bought the New York Islanders Hockey Club and asked me and another fellow to go run the team on the business side day to day. I always tell everybody I was a sports fan long before I was a lawyer. So it took me a millisecond to say yes. <laughs> um, I was became the general counsel of the Islanders, sat on the NHL Board of Governors for the club, and then uh, started doing a bunch of other things with Charles around investments he was making in technology and real estate, morphed into more of a business person than a lawyer. One of those investments that he made was in a company founded by his wife called New Lion. New Lion built the first platform for the delivery of live sports over the internet, built NHL Game Center Live, NBA League Pass, NFL Game Pass, UFC.TV, a whole host of others. Um, I was their pro bono lawyer when they started. And then uh, in 2008, they had an opportunity to become public company. I did that deal and then was told New Line was now my day job and everything else was part-time, <laughs> including the Islanders. Um, I wound up the general counsel of New Lion, sat on the public company board, ultimately became CEO. And then we sold that in 2018 to Endeavor, the company run by Ari Emanuel. Yeah. For those that Endeavor owns a ton of portfolio of entertainment companies. Yeah. They own UFC being one of them. <laughs> Absolutely. They own and and. And, you, and that's the, how the relationship between uh, New Line ever began through their acquisition of UFC. So, um, you know, we sold and I retired. Uh, I sat on the sidelines for about a year doing some consulting and relaxing a little bit when I got a phone call asking if I had any interest in running another streaming company. And I tell everyone it's a good thing it wasn't one of these video calls because when I asked the question, you know, what's the hook? There's so many streaming companies out there. Yeah. The answer I got was Phoenix can deliver in sub half second latency two broadcast scale audiences completely synchronized. And my eyes literally rolled to the back of my head. Um, you know, I, at New Line, we were delivering in 30 to 35 seconds of latency. Drift was a huge problem, as it was for our biggest competitor, BAMTech, Major League Baseball Advanced Media. Uh, they were delivering in 45 seconds of latency. You know, and we, all, we, we were the two biggest and best. 
Um, so the idea that someone could, you know, deliver to all three prongs uh, or legs of this stool, uh, I thought was was somewhat fanciful. Yeah. But I also realized that if someone could do it, it had incredible commercial applications. So I was smart enough, and I think this is the one area where I was smart enough. I was smart enough to allow the conversation to continue. Yeah. And uh, and and lo and behold, uh, you know, they convinced me, and I convinced them that we'd be a good fit. And uh, and and here we are. Yeah, it sounds like a little trust but verify, right? Like mm-hmm, absolutely. At first, the promise sounds a little too good, and then you see it broadcasting at scale across a, an existing use case. You're like, wow, this okay? I can see that this works out. You know. You have experience here. And so like, I think you have a unique perspective and I'd love for you to share it. Technology and innovation, we we assume that media companies want to push it, right? We assume that they want to push it and they do because we we experience it. But you also mentioned like their risk appetite for brand new technology is, is kind of, it's not there. It's not quite there, right? So much at stake, like they don't really want to adopt new things, but they know they need new things to make things happen. When you are running a tech company that's building pioneering technology, as you suggested, where maybe some of your claims to someone who's got experience, it sounds a little far-fetched. How do you go about scaling that operation and getting customers to say like, hey, I want to give this a shot because of course, all of them are going to want to trust but verify, trust and verify too. Like they're not going to implement this across the whole portfolio of shows in a second. So how do you go about getting that those tests going? Because that's a big challenge for a lot of entrepreneurs, which is like, hey, I got something. I need you to try it though. So, you know, it, it's clearly a challenge initially. It becomes less of a challenge once you have those first sort of referenceable clients on board. Um, so for us, it was clients in the auction space and trivia space where uh-huh. they needed both speed and and synchronization and scaling. Um, you know, we power Cox Automotive's Mannheim Auto Auctions, which is the largest wholesale auction business in the world for, for cars. That makes total sense. And you can imagine, you can imagine there's people that are bidding online against people who are at the auction. And so the requirements for real-time latency and synchronization are essential. Yeah. Um, you know, we also handle trivia contests where the same, the same types of requirements are, are you know, baseline. Uh, necessary for them to be able to deliver to their customers. And then it was taking that and finding use case solutions, use case opportunities in the market verticals that we were looking to penetrate. So, you know, our first opportunities in in the sports gambling was in horse racing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we've been extremely successful there for our clients at Perform, uh, at Stats Perform and Race Course Media Group. Uh, we delivered the Cheltenham Festival in the UK, which is the largest horse racing festival in the UK. Four days of racing, seven races a day for a total of 28 races. This past March, uh, I was there live. I was there in person. Um, and while we were we were handling this for our clients, in each of those races, we delivered to over 200,000 peak concurrence, uh, up to almost a half a million peak concurrence for some of the races. So, you know, we prove out what we actually say we can do. And that gives us, you know, a, a great set of talking points for the next use cases. And then we have, you know, another big client of ours is Verizon. And with Verizon and Edgecast, which is now the piece, the Yahoo piece that got sold off um, to Apollo uh, this past year, you know, we deliver for them with, with them for the NFL and now the NBA and the NHL, what we call uh, initially, is it's a multi-video, multi-camera angle app that started with the NFL called the, the Super Stadium app. 
Uh, we deliver for the NFL and we did it for the Super Bowl as well as during the season, seven camera angles, all completely synchronized in real time for Verizon uh, 5G phone owners in the stadium. So it gives a, a fan, let's say, sitting up in the 300 section uh, behind the end zone, the ability to see in real time what's taking place in a goal line stand from the overhead camera on the other side of the field. Uh, and you can imagine you know, those kinds of applications have no value if they're not delivered in real time. Uh, if I'm in the stands, you know, I'll know, you know, I won't, be, I may not be able to see it, but I'll know from the reaction of the referee or from the teams uh, or the fans that are closer to the action, what actually just took place. Um, so if I'm going to watch a video of what's taking place you know, somewhere else on the field from where I can see best, I need that to be in real time. And I also need all those angles to be synchronized so that I can choose any one of them at any time. Yeah, totally understand uh, the the, in my when you were describing that, my thought just kept going back to like, I wonder what the data. So, for example, your product today is the product today. You already know it's it's already obsolete, right? Like you, not obsolete, but you got to keep building. You got to keep building and improving because Absolutely. the the creators, the content creators, are going to want to layer in more applications, more experiences, more content, more higher data bandwidth, like whatever whatever more of. They're going to put more in. Like you already mentioned, sixteen K cameras. So, from a leadership perspective, how do you how is your team structured to just constantly innovate? Because even before it's reached wide scale adoption, you know that the industry is moving forward to like bigger and better cameras. So your team also has to be there to like receive that signal. Like I can already see it coming where they're just going to call you real Roy and just tell you like, Hey, by the way, we're going to stream this, right? We need you to stream this, but we also, we're going to use, you know, more cameras, higher bandwidth. Like we're going to do all these things and you got to be ready to say, yeah, we can send it. And that is a challenge. Uh, the, the beauty is, you know, as I mentioned, you know, our founder, Stefan Beer is, as far as I'm concerned, the guru for real-time video delivery. And, uh, you know, it's just an absolutely, you know, fierce mind when it comes to how this technology is used today and how it plays out in the future. So, you know, he and the engineering team are, are in part focused on all of the things we have to do today and the steps in front of us today but also, you know, steps down the road. Um, you know, we, we're great when it comes to all of the things that we do, but we know we can get better every single day. Yeah. We also know there are a lot of really interesting plays down the line for us. I'll give you one example that's gotten me very excited recently is the metaverse hmm. uh, and how we can actually play in the metaverse. You know, there, in, in order for the, the visions that, a lot of folks have with respect to what will take place in the metaverse uh, to come to fruition. You need real-time video. You need real-time data. You we need real-time audio, but you need spatial audio because you need that audio to be, you, you need to be able to distinguish whether the audio is coming from behind you, from yeah. in front of you, yeah. from to the left or the right. There's a lot more to it. And we're working on all of those things as we speak. I mean, the, the potential applications in the metaverse that we could support, right? Um, you know, I don't I don't hold expectation that some of the big players in the metaverse are going to want to use Phoenix as foundational technology for them. They're going to want to try to build their own, whether it's a meta or an Amazon or a Google. They're more likely to try to build their own. But there will be hundreds of thousands of companies who are looking to build and deploy metaverse applications that will be looking for an agnostic foundational technology, 
which I believe we can be. Hmm. Give you some ideas on, on things that can take place there. Um, you know, the idea of a Kanye West concert taking place in the metaverse where you and I can sit in any seats we want in that arena or at that stadium together and interact with one another. But as amazing as that is, what about being a backup dancer on the stage while Kanye's, you know, in concert Yeah, with a, a VR headset? We could potentially, you and I, maybe maybe not you and I, uh, definitely not me in the end, but uh, could be could be backup dancers for Kanye. Move that to a sports scenario. Um, if you're a football fan, you know, being able to watch the game with your friends from the 50-yard line, allowing every team to sell more 50-yard line seats in the metaverse. But then, as exciting as that is, I like the idea of being able to watch the game from the defensive backfield mm. and move to the ball as the quarterback is releasing it or the running back is breaking through the line of scrimmage. Um, there are so many different ways in which, you know, our technology can be foundational for these, for these types of applications where you need the real-time video from the source to be able to interact with. Listen, what you just described got me fired up because I've said on the show many times, I'm an avid surfer. I'm just imagining seeing because like in the future they could probably mount a sensor and camera to a professional surfer's head and as he's paddling for a huge wave at pipeline i can literally witness on my own terms his wave as he's going into a 20-foot barrel and if i look up and i look down or i look behind behind myself i would actually see what he saw even if he didn't actually look there absolutely and uh and if that was happening in real time like that would change so I always say this as an avid surfer is surfing is actually terrible for TV because it requires waiting. Right. But like, imagine being notified that he's about to go and you instantly are immersed in that experience. I think it would open, it would open unbelievable experiences, man. I get fired up thinking about some of the use applications in the future. Cause I'm not really bullish on the metaverse, not meaning bullish, meaning I don't really have a desire to use it, but then there's certain use case applications where like where you can actually go where it's never been possible to go before right? Whether it's physical limitations, especially, right? Like that, being in the barrel of a pipeline is very dangerous. Like you and I, if we go in there, we'll probably die. Right? <laughs> Imagine actually feeling what it's like to uh, climb Mount Everest. Exactly. Exactly. Right. And there's, I mean, there's, there's an example that's something I would never do in real life because I, I don't want to die um, <laughs> at least anytime soon. Uh, and, and so I wouldn't be taking that, that chance, but I would love to to feel the, that exhilaration and really see what it's like. Yeah, no doubt about it. So it's, um, you know, it's taking, you know, some of these, you know, sort of 360 degree video experiences that you'll get, you know, in theaters and, and putting it on steroids. No doubt about it. Well, Roy, it's been awesome having you on the show, kind of sharing what your technology company can do and what it's possibly going to unlock in the future. We look forward to seeing your continued success but before you go, it is time for the lightning round. The lightning round is brought to us by Salesforce Platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Roy, this is where we ask you questions about you outside the world of work so our audience can get to know you a little better. You ready? Sounds good. All right. You already mentioned before that you worked for the Islanders. I got to ask, is hockey your favorite sport to watch? It is, and especially live, in person. Yeah, there's nothing that beats it. All right. The Islanders, unfortunately for you, they didn't make it this year. Uh, had a rough go. Very rough. Had a rough go. <laughs> who do you who do you got for winning the cup? I think Colorado is, uh, is, is the team to beat. Yeah. 
See, Jenna, our producers from Colorado, they've already swept their series. They're sitting at home waiting for everyone else to finish up. Yeah, although that that's good and bad. You know, sometimes sitting on the sidelines and, and waiting is not the best thing. You know, there's momentum is not just game within a game. It's game to game and series to series. And when you sit, sometimes it affects momentum. No doubt about it. You mentioned earlier in the conversation that after there was a period of time where it sounded like you had decided to retire. What were you up to and how quickly did you get bored? Because it sounds like you got a little bored and wanted to get back into things. Yeah, I uh, I mean, I was I, I was pretty quickly. I've got a lot of friends and, and people who are doing a lot of different things. So I wound up doing, you know, just some some consulting and helping folks out in, in some different spaces. Um, and but I, I, I sat on the sidelines probably for about eight or nine months before it was less me. It was almost as much my wife who wanted to get me out of the house. <laughs> what do you like to do when you're not watching sports, when you're not running companies? What do you like to do for fun? So I, well, I mean, my biggest thing is I do watch a lot of sports, but I, I think the, uh, the other thing is, is I, I like to annoy my kids. I used to, I used to kid around and say that I wanted to retire and, uh, and I would spend, I have five kids and I said, I would spend one day a week annoying each kid, one day annoying my wife. And then resting on day seven, like God intended. <laughs> have you kept up to that promise? I haven't. I haven't. They, but the kids put up a little bit of a roadblock for me to annoy them that much. <laughs> oh man. I like the way you think. I, I, my, my, you know, my kids are, uh, so I, I have a 13, a 10 and a seven year old, my 10 and seven still like me. My 13 doesn't now, which is perfect. Cause now I annoy the crap out of them. It's fat. It's fantastic. They, they, they come back. They come back. My, my oldest is 29. Um, and they're down. My youngest is 15 and, uh, and they definitely come back. No doubt about it. Well, Roy, it was awesome having you on IT Visionaries. Thanks for sharing what you're doing at Phoenix. You know, like I said before, for a lot of us, when we consume entertainment, we don't really think about the technology behind it, but there's massive innovations and changes coming to it. And for us, it seems simple. It's like, well, why can't it get here faster? But Hey, you you know yourself, it's it's a massive challenge, but you know we're the as consumers we're we're thankful for it because man, I, I'm like you that 30 seconds it matters to me. Like I, we in in our group chats have a hard time like wanting to just like you just described. We don't want to spoil what's happening when we're all watching the same game, uh, or worse, have it spoiled for you. Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> I definitely don't like that. Absolutely. Listen, I I appreciated the time. I love chatting about Phoenix and very excited about what the future holds. Thanks for joining us today on IT Visionaries. You're welcome. Take care.